Good morning, everyone. And so, looking at our first reading uh, from Proverbs, it's um, speaking about uh, the attributes of someone, uh, I believe, is coming from the inside first, and then it effervescently comes out in what appears to the world to be menial tasks. In this case, it's speaking about a woman, a wife, who's doing menial tasks, preparing food perhaps, laundry, cleaning the house, but not only is she doing this, but according to this proverb, uh, she's extending it to the greater community. And while the community may think that these are menial tasks, uh, they are tasks that are important, that are needed. My friends, if you don't know, this proverb is uh, the person they're talking about is a queen. She's married to a king. And it is believed by the scripture scholars uh, that in this proverb, it is the king who is speaking. So he's talking about his wife. And not only the king, but uh, his sons, who are princes, are speaking about their mother and describing her. So they're acknowledging the fact that they see this within this woman. Now, even though she was married to a king and she was considered a queen, she was still a woman. This is back in that time, people. <laughs> Um, her worth was in that she was able to bear sons. So this king is different. He's acknowledging all these beautiful things. And in acknowledging it within her, how do you think that makes her feel? Wonderful. And her sons are speaking the same way. And like I said, and maybe it was her responsibility and duty as queen, but how did she do this? Apparently she did it with great love. So in this sense, she has a heart after God's heart, doing things, even though maybe they're considered menial, with great love. St. Paul um, is telling us that um, he's talking about the end times, the perusia. He said, regarding times and seasons, this is what he's talking about, the end times. He said, look, I don't need to tell you about this. You already understand. He said, you are now disciples of Jesus Christ, you no longer are ignorant. That's a different word for being stupid, which Paul never says, really. But you're not ignorant anymore, and stop living in darkness. You know what to do. And so, my friends, uh, we see in that first reading, uh, the queen, the wife, she knows what to do, and she just does it. And it's from within that she does her task with great love, and so, my friends, when I look at the first reading and I take a look at the second, uh, it helps me to understand perhaps better what the gospel parable is trying to tell us. The parables, uh, we've been studying them for 2,000 years, and the parable is certainly about the perusia. There's uh, someone leaves and they're coming back, so it's about the second coming. Uh, there's a judgment. Uh, this person didn't do what they were supposed to. They're thrown out. So all those things are there, absolutely. But I'd like to take a look at this parable uh, through the lens of the first reading. And in the same way that that king acknowledges this worth within this woman that is his queen. So I think the parable is doing the same thing for us. The master in the parable is an exceptional master in this he is showing care for those who are his servants, which is different 
from most masters of that time also. They probably didn't even know the names of all their servants. And so uh, this master is different. Now, the third servant, just jumping ahead, the third servant uh, makes an accusation against the master that he's overbearing and demanding. But there is nothing in the parable that suggests that the master is mean. As a matter of fact, it is just the opposite, really. The first two servants are given, all three of them are given something undeservedly. It's a gift. They're given. And when they come back, when the master comes back, uh, he asks for nothing from America. He, we're told, now in this case it's talents, it's money, but talents means God's grace. So we're transferring. But um, he says, take the one talent from that man and give it to the one who has ten. Meaning, the master did not take the money away. Whatever they earned, they got to keep. This is unheard of in that time. So um, the master is not overbearing and demanding. It's a false claim being made by one of the servants. The three servants to whom the master entrusted. Here's the other thing. In the parable, the master entrusts his possession to these three servants. And these servants are not his business stewards. Uh, there is another parable that actually identifies a servant who does this. He's a manager. So whenever we look at these, we need to look at the totality of scriptures to come to an understanding. These three servants are probably menial servants. I get this from the first reading where the wife, who's queen, does menial tasks. So these servants are likely servants who are out in the, the woods or in the farm doing things. They have no idea or concept about money. So uh, they were probably, they themselves were probably considered insignificant in the employment of this master. So they are likely surprised that the master even knows them. And he does, because the parable tells us, the master says, I'm going to give you five because of your ability. I'm going to give you two because of your ability. And I'm going to give you one because of your ability. This is not a demeaning of them. This is saying, I know you. I know what you're capable of, and I'm going to give you the gifts that you need. Uh, so this master seems to know them. He knows which particular ones know how to do something with what he's going to give them. He knows their abilities and their capacity to do something. The servants are likely surprised by what the master gives them. One talent in their time was worth one year's salary. One talent. So one of them gets five years' worth of income, another two years' worth of income, and a third gets one year. That's a lot of money to them. And here's the other thing. The master, he gives it to them, and he doesn't give them any instructions about what to do with it. He actually goes on a vacation. He gives them the talents and says, Bye-bye, see ya. He goes on a journey vacation. So my friends, what is the master up to? What is he doing? He's doing something. This is out of the norm for a master. And uh, here's what I think Jesus is trying to explain one of the things through this parable, this teaching. 
These servants are likely surprised by what the master gives them. It is probably the, the first time, perhaps, that anyone of importance has acknowledged them as even being alive. And um, not only that, but the master sees, he gives them a great possession, not something menial. He gives them something incredibly, something unexpected. So he must see in them the potential and the capacity to do. He trusted them with his possessions. So my friends, here's what I think. When people who we look up to acknowledge us, respects us, tells us we have worth, it changes us. The master is doing this to these servants that are considered to be nobodies. Perhaps it was their first experience of being accepted and wanted and acknowledged. And even though these servants could have run away, they had a great amount of money. They could have just taken off. They didn't. They stayed with the master, meaning they stayed employed by him. They choose not to leave. This tells me something about the master. And then the master comes back to settle accounts. Now, if you don't understand who the characters of the parable are, you're not going to understand anything. So the master is God. Please help me out here, folks. I want to have a good afternoon. I don't want to go home and say the people didn't know. The master is God. And the servants are? Oh, amen. Hallelujah. I didn't get that the last mass. <laughs> Could the servants be the apostles? Absolutely. Could the servants be uh, the prophets of all? Yes. The servants are you and I. So now we know what we're talking about. God the Father and the servants are you and I. So, could it be then that this parable is speaking to us about building up confidence and trust and acknowledging the potential? A week before I left for vacation, I gave a homily, and in that homily, I said, if we could only see ourselves as God sees us, we would be different. We would act different, we would feel different, and we would treat others differently. I believe this parable is another one that tells us the same thing about our worth and about how God sees us. If the master then is a symbol of God the Father who sees our potential and what we can be with his grace, in this case, the talents, although in the parable mean money, for us it means his grace, the gifts he gives. And the, the servants are any one of us and all of us. And God made us with free will. I believe in the parable, this is why the master says nothing to them about doing. He doesn't tell them what to do. Taking from the second reading, the master assumes you know what to do. You know what to do. God made us with this gift of free will. And my friends, yet so many of the baptized walk unknowingly still as slaves. Slaves to fear and addiction and bad habits and dread and hopelessness. This world puts forth hopelessness to everyone now. 
It's a hopeless situation. It's a hopeless life. It's not. And because of this, and because they accept it, they become paralyzed and can do nothing. The third servant. The third servant. We can surmise that God the Father, he's not worried that we try and fail. I think what bothers him would be that we just don't even bother. And particularly because of fear, you have nothing to be afraid of. And so my friends, um, something dramatic needs to be done in the parable, something unexpected. And what the master does, he gives him his greatest, he gives him all this wealth. And then he goes off on a trip, on a cruise. And in doing this, those servants began to discover something that is inside of them that the master sees. Because they come with confidence before the master. He comes back and he goes, guess what? You gave me five talents and I made five more. Bam, bam. The other one, you gave me two, I got two more. Oh, oh, uh, the third one. Who only puts false claims against the master. Again, not failure does God worry about, but just not doing nothing. I think the point of the parable is certainly not about material things, but about having trust and confidence and faith built up within us. The master sets up a test to elicit confidence and devotion and faith from the servants. And who are the servants? We. He wants to transform us from being just servants to children of the light, as the second reading tells us about. The two obedient servants come to see in themselves what the master saw in them. They experience true freedom that results from relying on the confidence that God has in us. More than being about making money, the parable challenges us to make the most of what God has given us as gift and to use it. As the first reading, the woman uses it not only just for her immediate family members, but for her whole community. So it's about discipleship also. So my friends, now let us consider then what the Father has invested in you. God the Father has handed over his greatest possession to you. His only begotten Son. In the Paschal mystery, the Father has handed him to you. The Father expects you will then know what to do. That you will act with love and faith and devotion. You will know what to do with this great position, possession that he has given to you. And ultimately, in knowing this, you will do what is right and what will happen? You'll make a lot of money? That's not the point of the parable. It actually tells us, so that you will enter into the Master's joy, that you will be with Him for all time. This is His joy, that you would be with Him. I suspect, I would love to believe deep in my heart that all baptized disciples of Jesus Christ would like to be known as these two faithful servants and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
come on in. Spend your time with me now. Now, friends, each one of you who are baptized must look with faith at what the Father has given to you. It is not insignificant, it is not unimportant, it is not menial. It is necessary, whatever it may be. No matter how insignificant you may think, it is not to him. Understand it and know it and act accordingly. Walk with faith. Trust the Father. Have confidence not only in him, but in yourself as his disciple. Now, my friends, I've just delivered the homily to you. And if you are skeptical about the homily, you don't believe, in 10 minutes, we will enter into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And once again, the Father will put into your hands his Son, his greatest possession in the Eucharist, the body of Christ. Amen. He will do it again and again because he has confidence and trusts you that you will know what to do and that you will do it. Amen?